0: testing yep can you hear me awesome did you see the size of that guy that had to bring out this pulpit today the big dude they knew they had the big boy in the pulpit so they needed the big guy to bring out the pulpit today it is awesome and he uh said to me on his way up there you go your royal highness so (laughs) this the respect that I get from my team it's (laughs) wonderful Well, good morning, everybody, again. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Gunner. I'm one of the pastors here at Chapel Hill, and it's just a joy to be with you. Um, This last week, I was away with all of your pastors and some of your elders at what is called General Assembly. Out of just curiosity, how many of you know what General Assembly means or is? Okay, so some of you. For those of you who don't know what GA is, or General Assembly, it's the gathering of our denomination, the EPC. And it's where pastors and elders from across the nation get together uh, for fellowship, for worship. Uh, We get to hear what the Lord is doing in and through the EPC. And I think most exciting of all, we get to conduct church business. Ooh, doesn't that just sound like a blast? (laughs) Out of all the committees, uh, I think mine was the best, by the way. The most fun and exciting of all the committees that do business, it's called the Rules and Overtures Committee. (laughs) Doesn't that sound like a blast? Okay. Admittedly, it's not the the funnest. It's not the most fun uh, of all the committees, but it's still important work uh, that the EPC is doing. To give you an example from this last GA, one of the decisions that our committee brought forward uh, was to strengthen our church policies in order to protect and listen to and care for victims of abuse in our churches. Isn't that, isn't that good? I mean, it's, it's good work. And I personally am so proud to be a part of a denomination that's not just evangelical, that's not just solidly built on the Bible, but also cares, that cares for people and what they're going through. And I think it's important that we dig into issues like this, honestly, because as many of you do know, uh, this matter of abuse in churches is an increasingly prevalent matter. Uh, It just seems like every time I turn on, you know, my TV and look through the documentaries that are up or, you know, go through the news, there's a a new scandal, a new scandal in the churches in our country popping up every single week. Another leader who's gone off the deep end and left uh, victims in their wake. And that leads us to a pressing question. What do we do about that? How do we as Christians respond to things like this? How do we respond to abuse? And and maybe more pointedly, how do we respond to spiritual leadership gone wrong? Uh, If you want to open your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 12, it's pretty wild to think that this 2,000-year-old book addresses this issue and uh, hits the nail right on the head. Jesus is going to teach us how to respond. And you'll remember a couple weeks later, or a couple weeks ago, so last week was Father's Day, so we jumped forward to the prodigal son. But two Sundays ago, Pastor Mark was teaching on the end of chapter 11 in Luke's gospel. And you'll remember that what Jesus was doing in that passage, he did not mince words, he did not hold back. He said, Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. And he proclaimed these judgments against spiritual leaders gone wrong. And in that, we pulled three hallmarks. At that sort of leadership. Do you remember what they were? Hypocrisy, pride, and malpractice. Can we say those together? Hypocrisy, pride, and malpractice. And where we pick up today, Jesus turns from addressing those Pharisees directly. He's in front of a large crowd that's getting increasingly larger, and he turns his direction from the Pharisees over to his disciples. And he says, this is how you're supposed to respond to people like this. This is how you can follow Jesus' When you encounter this sort of leadership. So we pick up Luke chapter 12, beginning in the first verse. This is God's word to us this morning. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to whom? His disciples, his disciples first. Beware of the leaven of the f- is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you've whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed from the rooftops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that, they can't do anything more than that. But I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before man will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This is the word of the Lord, and we say thanks be to God let us pray. Lord, I feel the weight of this passage this morning. It's always a weightiness to step into the pulpit and to speak, as it were, on your behalf to try to proclaim your word faithfully, to rightly divide the word of truth. But I feel that in a a greater heaviness today because of the topic before us and the content of your teaching, Lord Jesus. And so we pray humbly yet boldly, come Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Preach to our hearts, Spirit of the living God, pull from the words that I happen to say and tried hard to prepare in your presence, but take them and apply what is good and right and true to our lives. Help us to understand your truth and apply it to our lives. We pray in the great name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, here is the main idea of our passage this morning. It'll be up on the screen. When we face spiritual leadership gone wrong, we are called to be fearless, faithful followers of Jesus. This is the whole point, so I want to get it really sunk into our souls today. Let's say it together. Here we go. One, two, three. When we face spiritual leadership gone wrong, we are called to be fearless, faithful followers of Jesus. This is what Jesus is getting at, and he gives us three ways to apply this to our lives. Three don'ts, all right? Don't be like them, don't be afraid of them, and don't abandon your convictions. All right, we're going to take these one at a time from the passage before us. First, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Remember, Jesus is looking back to all these woe to you statements, these judgments, and then he turns to his disciples and he says, you know what you just heard? Everything I just said? Yeah, don't be like that. Don't be like that. There's a new way of living that I want to call you to. And so he gives this stern warning. Verse 1b Beware, everybody say, "Beware." Beware, of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, firstly, Beware, which literally in the Greeks means take heed to yourselves or watch yourself. Watch yourself. And then he compares the character of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy in particular, to leaven, to yeast and a dough. And if you put that all together, Jesus is warning the disciples that the hypocrisy of these leaders that he's just addressed is a spreading influence of evil, that we can fall into the very same trap that they have. We can easily become hypocrites. It can happen like that. And so we have to watch ourselves. What's hypocrisy? It's being one person in one place, another person in another place. Saying one thing in one context, another thing in another context. It's doing one thing in one situation and doing another thing in another situation. It's a lack of consistency. But what Jesus is going to say here is don't be like that. Don't be hypocrites. When you ask the average non Christian nowadays to describe the church in one word, what is that word? Hypocrisy or hypocrites—we know this. It just comes, rolls right off. In recent research done by the Barna Group, the number one reason that those of no faith gave for their reluctance to hold to Christian beliefs was, quote, hypocrisy of religious people. But we don't need a national survey to tell us that. We know it. We know it kind of, almost intuitively now, and we know it in, when we witness for Christ. Uh, This last spring, so very recently we just wrapped it up, we ran a community alpha course at a local coffee shop, and we teamed up with several local churches in the area and teamed up to witness for Christ to anybody that would come, that anybody that was invited, and it was amazingly successful hearing the stories. You'll get to hear them more as the months go on, but what all of our leaders at the tables heard again and again from several of the non-believers who were seated in their group was that the hypocrisy of the church was their number one barrier to coming to faith? These are your neighbors. These are your coworkers. These are your family and your friends. This is our town. And this should be of grave concern to us. We need to take heed unto ourselves that any sign of hypocrisy is uprooted from our lives so it doesn't do further harm to our witness for Christ. I'll just tell you a quick story. I was uh, driving to get my cup of coffee this morning, and I saw some Jehovah's Witnesses that were on the side of the road. There were four of them, all suited up, preaching falsity, by the way, a false gospel that harms and damns lives, and a church and a system, if you've heard, read anything about it, that abuses people like nobody's business. And my heart just broke. So I turned around, drove by him, and said, hey, we got church in about an hour, If you want to come, we're up at Chapel Hill. Here's the deal, though. When we're honest with ourselves, I just described the Jehovah's Witnesses, and really all that we've got on them as evangelicals is that our doctrine isn't screwy. The abuse is still there. The hypocrisy is still there. The inconsistency is still there, and it destroys the witness for Christ. And this is why Jesus said this 2,000 years ago. Jesus' teaching here, though, doesn't leave us there. He always gives you a way out. Verse 2, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you've said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you've whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Principle, then application, is what Jesus does. But if you bundle it all together, he's giving us actually, interestingly, a way out of a hypocritical life. If I could just summarize it, here it is. The opposite of hypocrisy is honesty. The opposite of hypocrisy is honesty. And so the way out of a hypocritical hypocritical life is to bring our lives out into the light. It's to pursue accountability before God and others. And this should speak right to our hearts as Chapel Hillians, okay? Because one of our values as a church is we are accountable. Can we say that? We are accountable. This is part of our DNA. This is part of our DNA. We believe that for the church and all its members. We believe that for the church and all its leaders. And this is why we're part of the denomination, a greater body, and a presbytery, a regional body. This is why we have an entire book dedicated in the EPC to discipline of leaders who have gone off the wrong path, on the wrong path an entire book that outlines piece by piece what you do when a leader goes astray. This is why we have local, biblically qualified elders, and thank God for them. It's because we value accountability. And all of that, my friends, is incredibly important, but it can also fall short It can fall short if we do not also have a church made up of faithful, fearless followers of Jesus who seek to live lives that are accountable before God. We need that discernment built in. All the systems I talked are like a trellis— But if you don't have the living vine that's organically growing in accountability and light before God, the whole thing can go down in flames. And many of you have seen it again and again and again. I'm 30 years old, and I've already been part of multiple ministries that have fallen apart because of scandal in my life. So we've got to be vigilant in our own lives so that we have a leg to stand on, discernment to see, and mouths to speak when God calls upon us. We will never be perfect and that is not the goal, not even a little bit. It's kind of the opposite. The goal is not to pretend perfection. It's to be honest. It's to be real before God and before others. That is what will strip hypocrisy of its power in our lives and protect us when spiritual leadership goes terribly wrong in our country and in our lives. So don't be like them. Secondly, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them, Jesus says. Well, how can we do that? Think about how powerful these guys are. I mean, we've got now an entire book of Acts that shows all the bad things that they can and will do to believers. Jesus even gives hints of it later on in the text. So what do you mean, Jesus, we have to be fearless before oppression or persecution or scandal? How do we do that? Verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who what? Kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. What's Jesus saying here? What's the worst they could do to you? Kill you? Disciples are like, what? That is the worst thing that they could do to us. Are you kidding me? These disciples hadn't seen resurrection power yet. But they were about to. The resurrection power that not only raised Christ from the dead, but in and through Christ is going to raise you from the dead. Friends, by faith in Jesus, you are heaven-bound, and nothing and no one can ever take that away from you. You have an eternity to spend with the Lord. We know that this is not our home, but we are just a what? A passing through. This life is not the end. We are heaven-bound, and so we do not have to be afraid of any human being, any human institution, any human authority, any human power. Do we honor them? Yes. Do we respect them? Yes. Do we obey when it's in line with Scripture? Absolutely. Do we let them go on and and just be fearful about it? Absolutely not, because we say with the psalmist, what can mere man do to me? What can mere man do to me? But we need to go further than that. Jesus has more of an antidote to our fear. We don't just need to uproot that fear. We need to replace it. Verse 5. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after killing, has authority to cast into hell. Gehenna. Yes, I tell you, if you didn't get it the first time, fear him. Intense, isn't it? He kind of goes and he turns it up a few notches. Turns up the heat, if you will. Jesus takes it to another level. He says, fear him. But who's him? Who is this him? Who has the authority to cast into hell? Let me tell you right now, it is not Satan. Satan doesn't have that authority. Satan was sent to hell. Satan himself has been cast into hell. He doesn't rule it, Satan's not in the underworld with a tail and pitchfork and horns running the whole hell operation, okay? That might be what our culture tells us and what we've heard in other avenues, but the Bible teaches us that that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. So it's not Satan. Who's the one who casts into hell? This may come as a shock to you, some of you. It's God. God is the one who has authority to cast into hell. There's this commonly held belief uh, among, actually, a lot of Christians now, in our nation especially, and among apologetics especially, maybe because it makes the Christian faith seem a little bit more palatable, but there's this commonly held belief that God doesn't send anybody to hell. People send themselves to hell. They choose it for themselves. They live a hell-bent lifestyle, and that God simply sits back and allows it. That is also not biblical. This passage is clear enough for us God casts into hell, literally in the Greek, throws into hell. He and he alone has that authority, and so he and he alone is worthy of fear, awe, and reverence. It was said at the burial of John Knox, the great Scottish reformer and preacher who stood firmly himself against leadership gone wrong, it was said when he died, here lies one who fears God so much he never feared the face of man. That's what we want said of us as believers in Jesus Christ, fearless, faithful followers of Christ. If we're to conquer the fear of man, we must cultivate a healthy fear of God. But again, we can't end there. Jesus then says we must have the fear of God, but we must also know the love of God. He shows us that this almighty King of kings, Lord of lords, with authority to cast into hell, is also your greatly imminent heavenly Father who loves you. Verse 6, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten by God? Why even the hairs of your head are numbered? Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. This is an argument, a, a typical one by a rabbi from lesser to greater. He's saying if God cares about these sparrows who are literally like a dime a dozen, how much more does he care about you? How much more does he care about you, the one who made, he made in his image, the one he, he set his son to die for you, the one who he has set his affection upon, who is a human being that he loves and chose and adopted? How much more does he love you, O oh, you of little faith? He loves you so much, he knows everything about you. He even knows the number of hairs on our head, which honestly is starting to get a little less impressive for some of us, I might add. I think it actually says he knows the number of hairs that you don't have on your head too. So (laughs) he's keeping track of it all. What's the point? God knows you. He knows your name. He knows everything about you. And yet, even though he knows the good, the bad, and the ugly, he loves you still the same. And he could never stop loving you. You are valuable to him. This is how we uproot fear from our lives. We need to not fear man. We need to replace it with the fear of God and to know intimately the love of God. One of the things that made this year's General Assembly uh, particularly memorable was that we survived a tornado while we were there. Uh, In fact, in one of the middle of our business meetings, a tornado began to form, and it went right by the church, and shirts are already being made that say this. I survived the 43rd GA with a picture of our tornado on it. Although our organist, Catherine, at first service, we found out that she's also an amazing graphic designer. She updated the tornado a little bit. You can take a look right here. (laughs) Maybe we could zoom in on that. There he is. Okay. Okay. So if you read in the news that the tornado just passed through, it's wrong. Pastor Mark, he wrangled that thing to the ground, in Jesus' name. (laughs) But in all, all honesty, growing up in Washington, I haven't lived through a tornado before. Okay, we have like normal world problems over here, not like these massive natural disasters usually. And so all of our devices, they start going off with the tornado warning, and the staff starts yelling directions to us to, To go and hunker down, including in the church basement where many of us ended up. I ended up there, Pastor Julie ended up there, a lot of other people. But what was most memorable about this experience, it wasn't the natural disaster, it wasn't living through it, (laughs) it was how these believers responded in the midst of the storm. Let's take a look. That cool? Little did we know that there were groups around the church who were doing the exact same thing, including a group of guys who were hunkered down in the men's bathroom. <laughs> they were singing hymns. And also, little did we know that at that very moment, the storm was coming through and destroying parts of the church property. Christians sing in the face of fear. Christians sing through the storm. Sure, we might get a little unsettled, Our hearts might beat a little bit faster, but when push comes to shove, we know the peace that passes understanding, the peace that conquers fear, because we know that nothing and no one can ever snatch us from the hand of our all-loving, all-powerful God. Amen? Amen. So that's our second don't. Don't live in fear. Don't live in fear. And we need this fearless disposition when we respond to modern-day Pharisaism. We really do because we know from history and we know from many of our own lived experiences that spiritual leadership gone wrong, the most abusive manipulative leaders, especially the ones of a religious variety, love to use fear as one of their main tactics. But we do not fear man because of their power is limited. We fear the Lord because of who he is and his unlimited power to do all that he sets out to do. But we also find peace in knowing that that same Almighty God is our Heavenly Father who has set His love upon us. Love that goes beyond all words, all knowledge. So don't be like them. Don't be afraid of them. And then one more. Don't lose your convictions. There's a real temptation, especially when we find ourselves in abusive systems or under unhealthy leadership, to question ourselves. To question if these leaders are in good with God and we're not, we're on the outside. To maybe even start to wonder if all that we've believed in, because we've followed these people, all that we believed in is a sham. Many people in my generation, I'm a millennial, and younger have gone through the experience of what is now commonly called deconstruction. Have you heard of this? Deconstruction. It's often when you've grown up in Christianity, and you go through a season of intense doubt, you begin to deconstruct your faith, asking if the things you believed in are actually true. And for many people, deconstruction is catalyzed from seeing the good, the bad, and the ugly of the church, and looking especially at the ugly of Christianity, and wondering to yourself, do I really believe what these people believe? And I'm going to be very transparent with you this morning, That has been the case for me in my life before. Before coming to Chapel Hill, I worked for another church for several years. I poured my blood, sweat, and tears into that uh, ministry. In fact, if you were there at the time and you saw a list of all the ministries at the church and you picked one at random, chances are I was involved in that ministry. I was working over full-time, getting paid half-time, going to school, commuting, trying to support my family— I was feeling burnt out and beat up by the church. But there was a breaking point for me. When Amy and I went uh, for premarital counseling with a pastor outside our church, her family pastor, I shared with him what my work life was looking like and the impact that the whole experience was having on my life and upon our relationship And the pastor asked me a simple yet pivotal question that I will take with me for the rest of my life. He asked, Gunner, if you continue in this job, what will it do to your soul? And without skipping a beat, I answered, it will make me bitter. The next week, I resigned. I offered the church to stay on for another month and a half to make sure that they had all that they needed when I was gone, and a few weeks later, I got married But when I got back to finish my last two weeks at the church, I was invited to attend a meeting, and I had no idea what the meeting was about. I just knew that all the pastors and elders of this church were gathered together and that I needed to be there. And I walked in to find that the goal of the meeting was to list out each and every one of my failures that they saw in me over all my years of ministry at that church. I looked across the room at the men who had really raised me in the faith— and heard as they, one by one, just tore me down. Some of you have asked me before, you know, how do you pray like you do? You kind of involve scripture and, you know, it just kind of comes easily to you. It actually doesn't come easily to me. It's because these men taught me that. So do you see how this was all intertwined? My faith and my pain. And that can get really confusing. It was one of the most emotionally painful moments of my life. And as you can imagine, this caused me to be pretty disillusioned about church. And so began my journey from disillusionment to doubt to deconstruction to a dark night of the soul. And that's often how it goes. But thank God I'm here to tell you that my story doesn't end there. Because God brought me here. And he introduced me to that man who loved me. Who spent time with me, who even when we're not on the same page, he sought me out to get on the same page. This church has been a healing place for me, and I just want to say I thank God for all of you. I thank God for all of you. I'm grateful to say that the providence of God kept my faith intact, and God in his sovereignty would continue to bring me back, ironically, to the very tactics we're going to be introduced in this last point. So if you want to keep your life together in the midst of these moments, Jesus is going to tell you how. Verse 8, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. Thank you, Lord. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. What is Jesus saying here? He is saying, it cling to me. Cling to me, the Son of Man. It's when we cling to Jesus that we're carried through our times of disillusionment and doubt and deconstruction and dark nights of the soul. It's okay if you deconstruct as long as you reconstruct on Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of your faith. He is the chief cornerstone. Build on the firm foundation, the solid rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Jesus is not. When you're in the throes of those seasons... When you can't believe the despair of disbelief in your own heart at the people who could treat you and others the way that they have, there is one person, one leader, one friend, one mentor who you can always count on, and his name is Jesus Christ. But there's more. Jesus encourages us to remember, I'm not just here with you now, I'm coming back for you, and I'm going to deal with this, okay? I'm going to deal with this. Verse 10, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now you say, well, how does that connect, and what does that even mean? (laughs) Because this is probably one of the least understood of all the statements of Christ, but I think it's understandable. What is the unforgivable sin? What is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Well, this is why— we are bible preaching people because the bible has the answer for us in the context you go back to chapter 11 where we just were and we see the blasphemy against the holy spirit in real time when some of these pharisees make a horrendous accusation against the holy spirit who is at work in jesus himself verse 14 excuse me 15 of chapter 11 but some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebub the prince of demons. You see that? That's the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Right there. That's the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Well, you say, why? What did they do? Well, they attributed the genuine holy works of the Spirit of God to none other than the devil himself. And Jesus says that this is the ultimate sin. Why? Because when they close their hearts to the work of the Spirit, they close themselves off to the only source who could regenerate them the only one who could change their hearts to believe the gospel and find forgiveness for sins. And this is why I can tell you, those of you who have placed genuine saving faith in Jesus Christ, I can tell you that if you're concerned that you've committed the unforgivable sin, I've got news for you. That concern in and of itself is proof that you have not committed the unforgivable sin. This is how Billy Graham puts it. The one sin a person cannot be forgiven of is the sin of rejecting God's forgiveness. Let me say that again. The one sin a person cannot be forgiven of is the sin of rejecting God's forgiveness. That's what these guys had done. They said, we don't want it. We don't want you, and we don't want, ever, we don't want whatever spirits behind what you're doing. We don't want your magical uh, evil powers to get us, Jesus. And that right there was the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The believer in Jesus cannot commit this sin, but these Pharisees, on the other hand, had committed this sin in the previous chapter, and they'd locked themselves into a state of unforgiveness. And because of this, their judgment in the end was sure. This verse is meant to point us to the reality of judgment, that God takes sin seriously, and that the sin of rejecting the Spirit's work altogether will be judged. This verse, believe it or not, is not meant to give believers fear. It's not meant to freak you out. It's meant to comfort you. We can take comfort in the fact that Jesus will deal with the evil of this world. He will. Some of us need to hear that for another reason because we're doing the very things that we read in verse two. We're keeping stuff in the secret parts, especially if you're abusing someone and you're keeping that behind closed doors. Jesus is going to open that door and you better get it figured out this side of glory. I'm just telling you right now, open the door. Open the door. Let the light shine in. Get the help that you need. Repent and believe the gospel. This is why we need this side of heaven to open our lives to the Lord. But that's one side of people. The other side of us need to hear this for a very different reason to know that, yes, the Lord may have not dealt with the situation that you are facing right now, but he will one day beyond a shadow of a doubt. When you're waiting for justice to come, when you're tempted to throw in the towel, When you want to give up the faith to give up your convictions don't do it jesus reminds you evil will be dealt with he will not look the other way friends he will not look the other way all the works are coming out of the closet before him and in the end all will be made right again because behold i am making all things new we can trust his justice We can trust his timing, but that does not mean we don't need to speak up or speak out sometimes when we see something. And this is what he says in our final verses, beginning verse 10. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This is incredible. He's saying the same Holy Spirit that these people have thrown out and blasphemed is the same Holy Spirit who's going to fill you with power and guidance to be able to handle every situation the way you got to, the way that God wants you to. And so our invitation is simple. Depend on the Spirit. Through prayer and community and Scripture, listen to his still small voice. Amy and I were reading about that in Elijah, the story of Elijah last night. Listen for the still small voice of the Spirit. He's speaking... He's speaking through your community, through your prayer times, through your scripture times. He's speaking when you're here right now, so will you heed his voice and follow his direction? And when the time comes to speak truth to power, he'll give you the words that you need to say. Again, doesn't mean we don't honor authority. It means that we are obedient to the Spirit of God. You can find the strength to say exactly what the Spirit gives you to say when the time is Jesus is dependable, the judgment is coming, and the Spirit of God lives in you. You can stand in the face of spiritual leadership gone wrong when those moments come in our lives without losing yourself in the process. This is God's call on our lives, all that put together. And in closing, can I just tell you a a wonderful word of good news? It's utterly impossible, (laughs) okay? Utterly impossible to do this stuff. It's utterly impossible if you don't have the gospel. These are the resources that are yours in Christ, in closing. It's only in the gospel that you find freedom from hypocrisy. You find the safety to bring your life out into the light. How? Well, it's found in knowing that our own attempts at righteousness could never make us right with God, but by faith, the righteousness of Christ, which is perfect, has been applied to your account. You are completely and totally accepted in the beloved. It's found in knowing that we have nothing to hide because Jesus paid it all on the cross. And guess what? He sees it all already. That nothing can separate us from his love and that no court of human opinion can ever change that. It's found in the gospel. We find in the gospel freedom from fear, even in the face of people who could destroy us. How? Because of Jesus, God is for you. You are infinitely valuable to him. And that because Jesus has defeated death and risen from the dead, that you will rise with him at the end of the age and experience eternity with him, and nothing and no one can take that away from you. And it's only in the gospel that we find the courage to cling to our convictions and what we believe, no matter the cost. We can only find that supernatural inspiration when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus sent when he ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high. And it's only in knowing that that same Jesus who ascended and who is Lord, for, to whom all authority and rule has been given, that that same Jesus is coming to sit on the throne and to judge sin and to bring us into the gates of glory. That is where we find the power that we need. Amen? Amen. It's in Jesus, who lived for you, died for you, rose for you, ascended for you, coming back for you. It's in the resources of the gospel and holding tightly to it that we find all that we need to be fearless, faithful followers of Jesus, even in the face of spiritual leadership gone terribly wrong. Thank God we don't have that. Thank God every day we don't have that, but it's something that must be preserved. It's something that must be fought for, and it's something that must be prayed for each and every day. And so we're going to close praying for our church, praying for our leadership, and praying for God's righteousness to be known. Let us pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, nothing is hidden from your perfect gaze. You see everything. You see everything in us. And yet, everything has been dealt with at the cross. And our identity is sealed by the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us. And we thank you for that good news. Lord, may we stand as fearless, faithful followers of Jesus, even in the face of hardship. Whatever oppression comes our way, whatever persecution comes our way, whatever scandals we hear about, Lord, would you help us to stand firm as believers? And we pray boldly yet humbly that you would protect our church from this evil. Protect our leaders, protect our church, protect everybody who serves in every various ministry, protect us from ourselves, free us from the flesh, Cultivate in us an honest fear of God and dependence upon the love of God. We pray for this church and we pray for this nation as we see scandal after scandal after scandal. Would you make us as your church, the big C, capital C church around our country, would you make us faithful to the gospel? Would you bring truth to bear? And would you apply the gospel to our lives so that, Lord, our witness for you may be all that you desire it to be. Lord, we want to go out of this place knowing that you have fought and won every battle, and we stand in you more than conquerors in him who loved us. We thank you for this time together. We ask that you'd apply these truths to our lives and help us to be the followers of Christ you've made and called us to be. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand, and we're going to sing the chorus of this song. sing together that the battle belongs to Jesus.
1: So when I fight I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high Oh God the battle belongs to you and Every fear I lay at your feet I'll sing